Well, good morning, everyone. I'm Mark, and I hope you are all having a great Sunday morning. There you go. Thank you. Thank you. Well, here we are, uh, pretty much the midway point of, of Pathway Shift, where we're taking an intensive look at, at really what's the most important thing in life. If we really want to do life well, what, what kind of things does our life need to be about? And fortunately for us, Jesus answered that question for us. Uh, he was asked that very question. He said, look, the most important thing, the most important thing that you could possibly do with your life is to love God with all of your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And then equally as important to that is to love your neighbor as yourself. You go, oh, okay, that's it. That's good. I can just do that then. You know, it's, it's one of these like, okay, you know what? Now Jesus said this is the most important thing, but the reality is that the vast majority of us spend very little time or thought on how we can bring glory to God in all of the different aspects in our life. And what does that even look like? And there's different times in our life that we do a better job at it in certain areas than others, right? Sometimes, you know, we're... We're loving God with our bodies and, and our strength, and, and we feel like that, that's something that's going well. Or other times, we're emotionally well. We're bringing honor to God in all of our relationships and different things like that. That in other times, you know, we, we may uh, be really just learning and, and expanding our understanding of who God is. And in these times, usually, of hyper-growth in, in a certain area, or if we're doing one part well, that we, a lot of times, if we're not intentional, let the others fall off. And last week we were talking about mind and how all truth is God's truth. And that's why I encourage people to read uh, different books and, and just pray that God will, will reveal his truth through, through our different learnings and expand our understanding and our, our knowledge of him. And, and this week uh, I was watching my daughter... Uh, braid these little uh these little thread bracelets kind of thing and and it was kind of interesting i asked her to make her one for me uh based on the kind of the colors that that i've been symbolically using uh to uh to represent the different aspects of our life and when she made this she said you want me to cut it off i'm like no because it's interesting to me a lot of us approach life like a bunch of loose threads. Like in the red, we talked about how that's our heart, our emotion, and that's over here, and you know, loving, loving others is over here, and all these kind of things. And the interesting thing is, when she's making these, it's just kind of this jumbled up kind of mess that it's just kind of loosely put together, and it just doesn't really have any form. And it might be pretty just in all colors, but it, it just really doesn't have any functionality. It's not... It, it doesn't look like it has any design or anything like that. But the interesting thing is, is she sits there and she, she weaves these things together and these colors together, and, and it starts to form something of value, something of, of beauty, something of, of design. And the other thing is that it's completely integrated 
within itself. And everything in this bracelet, one color relies on the other color for its structure, for its existence. And really what we're trying to do in this series is is not try to fatten up or get more of one color or make sure all the colors are are present in one big kind of ball, but to allow the creator, the, the, the creator of the universe, the great artist, to be able to weave us together so we can live an integrated life of worship. Now, if you've been reading your uh, devotionals and doing your devotionals, they've been absolutely fantastic. I've been enjoying reading those. You guys have written some just amazing things. And I try to read a week uh, in advance and uh, just to see uh, what people are you know, thinking about different aspects. And so this week you're going to be reading this is about the soul. And the soul is an interesting thing that, that really... You know, I actually had several people who were writing devotionals on the soul, and they were the only ones actually out of all of the different elements of our, of our life to come up to me and say, I really don't know what to write about, which was perplexing to me because you figure if anybody should know about the soul and the spirit, it should be us, right? Those of us who are followers of Christ, that this should be a readily apparent kind of thing, that that's such so integrated into our life that we, we understand it, we recognize it, we can articulate it. But it, the reality is that many of us sitting here today are, are just like, I really don't know what the soul is. I really don't have much of an idea of, of what it looks like. And, you know, I, I think that our, our culture and, and, and the different ways that we've used the word soul has kind of convoluted that even more. In fact, we have tons of songs and expressions about the soul. And before we kind of get into our discussion today, this is what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to turn to somebody, probably someone you do not know, make sure you know their name, and ask them how many different expressions of the soul can you come up with. Like an example that I wrote down was poor soul. Like what does that mean? and things like that. So go for it. Talk to somebody. Come up with some expressions, and we're going to talk about it a little bit. Go for it. All right, come on back, come on back. So, anybody have any soulful expressions? Soul expressions, anybody? Somebody has to have some sort. We say it all the time. All right, here we go. Let me come on over. Soul food. Soul food. What is soul food? <laughs> what does that mean? 
soul from inside, soul from the heart, soul, food you love. All right, food you love. So soul food. Soulmate. Soulmate. What does that mean? Your husband is it, okay. I guess you have to say that. Or, uh, my soul mate. Yes, we use that. I'll be over there in a second. Just saying the South. Bless his soul. Bless his soul. Meaning and what, that the person has done something bad, maybe. So bless his soul. Okay. And what are you saying when you're saying bless his soul? God be with him. God be with them like nobody else can be or something yeah, like that. Exactly. All right, so bless, bless his soul. Bless his soul. Uh, entrepreneurial soul. Entrepreneurial soul. What does that mean? Like even when you don't have anything, you try to get something, and you always try to get, I don't know, you're always trying. Okay, so something that's deep inside you and, and driving about, about that. Anybody else on, on a soul expression? There's all sorts. Uh, yes, Paulo, what do you... What about when they say the old soul? What, I don't know. Tell me. What do they mean when they say old soul? Well, for me, what I think it is, is I think when they believe in reincarnation. But for me, I think it's God was present in the beginning of the earth. And so he thought of us then. And so I guess that's the closest I can relate to an old soul. All right, an old soul. Yeah, it, it's... It, it's funny, I, if we really, I mean, we could probably spend the whole time together just coming up with these different expressions on the soul, and, and they mean lots of different things. Like when the Titanic went down, I believe the, the newspaper uh, headline said, I forget how many people it was, but X amount of souls went down with the, uh, with the Titanic, and, and things like this, and, but what does that what does that mean? I mean and what does it uh, what do we do with that? And I think there's a lot of times when we we have a really ready kind of understanding. We come come to the table with an understanding and what it means to say honor God with with our with our bodies or something like that. We know that we our bodies are a temple and and we should take care of them and exercise and eat right and those kind of things and we can bring glory to God through how we conduct in our in our physical just being we also with the mind that we you know understand that you know thinking about godly things and reading and stretching our mind and all those kind of different things but we come to the soul and we just one you know we we don't know how to enrich the soul how do we glorify God with our soul but what are the other you know what once we identify that, you know, what, what is it? You know, what is it? And what does it look like? And I, I think that, you know, especially us as people who are meant to be followers of Christ should, should know this. And also, on the, on the other side of that is, you know what? The soul is this thing that is going to last forever. And that's a mighty long time. And, and we, we go through and it's like, or if, if there's anything that really ultimately should get a lot of attention, it should be our soul. But I think it's one of those things that it's so, and a lot of times so uh, intangible. It's something that we can neglect and something that we can fake very easily. 
Jesus talked a lot about this when he would say that, that people would, you know, glorify God with their mouths or, or with their actions, but their, their souls or their hearts were, were far from God. We call those people hypocrites, and some, but sometimes, sometimes that's just not hypocrites, that's just us. Because we fall in the trap of, okay, maybe I can do enough things or say the right thing, and, and maybe it will all come together. So taking a step back and saying, all right, well, what, what is the soul? Well, in the, in the Hebrew mind, and each week we, these concepts have been around for thousands and thousands of years, and, and our understanding of, of these different aspects of our life have, have grown, and God has revealed more of those things to us. To the Hebrew way of thinking, that there was absolute integration of somebody's soul and their life, but not just life in general, that, that to be human, to be truly human, meant that you had a soul, that, that God had breathed a soul into you, breathed his spirit into you, to breathe life into you. In Genesis chapter 2, in the account of creation, it comes down to this, Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, he breathed the breath of life, or he breathed a soul, into the man's nostrils. And the man became a living person. Became a living person. That, and this understanding, the Hebrew understanding is, you cannot be fully human without having a spirit inside you. Then we go and, and we move forward, and then we get into the 4th century B.C. where Plato started really talking about this idea of the uh, eternal soul. And that's really our understanding, and Jesus' understanding was that the, the soul ha is something that is separate from life, and it, uh, and it is also something that, that goes on forever. And that, that it's something that we need to pay attention to. And in fact, in a lot of Greek writings, that the word life can be, uh, the word soul can be substitute for the word life. If you turn to Luke chapter 9, in verse 23, people were asking Jesus about what does it mean to have eternal life? And what does it mean to be a child of God? And what does it mean to be forgiven? Because the reality is, if the soul is eternal, which it is, then we have to realize, say, okay, well, why was the soul created? Well, the soul was created as something that would have eternal lasting properties, same as God. See, the original vision that God had was to have an eternal relationship with his creation. But after the fall, that there was a separation, that, that, that death came into the picture. But there's, there's a problem. Because now you have this eternal soul that has been corrupted, and God is holy, God is absolutely pure. And the issue is now you have this, this soul that has rebelled against its creator. And now... But it is an everlasting thing. It is an eternal thing. So what do you do?
Because what is not holy, what is not absolutely pure, cannot be with something that is absolutely pure. And that's why God, who loved us so much and wanted to restore the, the original vision that we had, sent Jesus so he would die for our sins and that we would have the opportunity to have him cleanse our souls so we can have eternal life. And here we, we have this concept of, okay, then what, then what happens? And really the choice that, that we have all been presented in that choice because God pursued us was that, you know what, you can choose to have eternal relationship with me, which you were designed to have, or you can choose an eternal relationship separated from me. And this whole concept was, was readily present on the first century Jews and Gentiles' minds. And they're asking Jesus, well, what is this all about? And he said to the crowd, if any of you want to be my followers, you must turn from your selfish ways. Take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, if you try to hang on to your soul, you will lose it. But if you give up your life, give up your soul for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but are yourself lost or destroyed? Really articulating this idea, you know what? What does it matter if you are completely physically fit, that you hold several doctorates, that, you know what, you're the most emotionally stable person ever to watch, walk the planet, and you love everybody, but at the end of your life, your physical life, that your soul is still in separation from God. And Jesus is saying here is like, look, the most important thing is to get your relationship right with God. To, to accept the forgiveness that he has offered and to, to follow me. And this is, this is a daily occurrence where you pick up your cross daily. You daily say, you know what, Jesus, I need you again. The, the problem is, though, that so many of us, we become so dehydrated. Our souls have become so dehydrated. There was a study released several years ago just about the, the constant state of physical dehydration that Americans are in. That, that our, our thirst mechanism has become so weak that we don't even know that that we're thirsty anymore. And because of that, we have been lulled in a sense of, of or, a, or a condition of constant dehydration. In fact, they say that that 2% dehydration of your, of your optimum thing drops your overall wellness by 10%. And I think about that as, as kind of a, a, a metaphor for the soul. If our soul is, is meant to be like a big, plump grape, I love grapes. They're yummy. I really like them when uh, they've been in the refrigerator and you pop, it's like, it's like candy. I mean, it's good. And, and I, I love the bite on them and like it, ex, 
explodes in your mouth, all the good juices, all that grape juice kind of stuff, and, and it's awesome. But you know what? I hate raisins. They remind me of rat stuff, you know? I mean, it's just, I just, I don't like the raisins. And it basically, and it's so weird because, you know, you, you have, you know, basically it's the same thing, but one has been like dehydrated and shriveled all up and nasty. And, and you know, I, I hate to say this, and, and I think that this is, this is where this series came from. And I've, I've said this a couple of times, but what grieves me as a pastor is it seems like so many of our souls have been dried up. And the reality is, when I read things like Mar- Mary, the mother of Jesus, about her soul, the, the hard thing for me is, is not only a lot of times don't I measure up to that, but a lot of times just the Christian church doesn't measure up to that. In Luke chapter 1, there's this one sentence that, that, that Mary says that just it really disturbs me because I think that it paints a clear picture of where we should be, where our souls should be. And because when you see the clear picture of where it should be, many times we see in contrast to where we truly are, and it becomes hard. Mary said this, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. I just don't know if that's the state of the American church as a whole. It seems like our souls have become these shrivel up things and we've almost come to that we believe in the values and the idea of the of Christianity, but it's driven it's driven by this ideal of who we should be versus the vision that God has for us. And if you're taking that at the weight of the impact of what I just said, I mean it like that. I think that we need to learn to hydrate our souls again and let it flow out. Because when you have your soul and it's dried up, for, for a while, we can fake it. We can fake the singing. We can fake the, the God bless yous. And we can, we can fake the, the Christian type of stuff. But it's just going to burn us out. And... I just felt like we needed to really get to the heart of the matter or the soul of the matter and just say, you know what? Where is the joy? Where is our souls praising the Lord? 
Where is our spirits rejoicing in God who is our Savior? Have we fallen so far from that that our thirst mechanism doesn't even work anymore? Last week we talked about how God says, look, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. But why does it sometimes take so much energy to do that? And I think it comes back to this idea that we have dehydrated souls. And if we are going to go forward and we are truly going to be able with longevity, be able to love the God of our Uh, love our Lord our God with all of our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength and love others as ourselves, that we need to allow our souls to be the big plump grape that it was intended to be. Paul instructs us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it's close of his letter. It's kind of interesting He talks about some things, and he gives us a couple of clues here. He says, Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God will make this happen, for he who calls you is faithful. Dear brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all the brothers and sisters with Christian love. I command you in the name of the Lord to read this letter to all the brothers and sisters. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Paul is telling us five really important things here. It's not all inclusive, but it gives us some hints of just some stuff that maybe we've forgotten and that we need to be reminded of. The first one is, let God make you holy. We do not have the ability to do it ourselves. None of us are perfect. We have attitudes that aren't right. We have eating habits that don't treat our bodies as a temple. We we don't do our relationships well. There's things that we just fall short. It's really interesting because all of us who come to God, we come to God in the same way. And we come to God where we finally come to the end of our own rope and we say, you know what, God? I can't do it on my own. I need you to come and heal my soul. My soul is dry and I need you to come in and hydrate me. And I will open up my life and I will follow you. That's how we come to God, right? But it seems like as soon as we get done saying that, then somebody else is saying, good, you've done that. Now you've got to do this, 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 and they can keep on going, right? And, and we sit there and we're like, oh, okay, I got to do this, and I got to do that, and I got to do this, and all of these kinds of different things. Now, I want to pause here. And yes, you know what? There's things that we do. There's things that we do to bring health to our lives. In emotional and, and relationships, we keep a short account with people. 
that we share when we're hurting and, and or somebody hurt us, we go to them and we talk to them. And those are things that we do. But those things that we're, we do, we don't do for justification. We do because we've been motivated that we want to bring glory to God. So we often get caught in this, this trap of, you know what, I got to do this and I got to do that. And, and so many times that they don't even have anything to do with what Jesus said was the most important thing. And we just run ourselves ragged until the final point where it's like, you know what, I can't do it. But instead, this time, instead of saying, God, you know what? I missed it again. I need you to make me holy because I do not have the ability in myself to do it. A lot of times we just give up and walk away because you know what? The pursuit is not possible. The next thing that he talks about is pray for your church family. Pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ. I had somebody during this series, come to me and said, you know what, Mark? You know what you need to do? I know that you're going to be talking about loving your neighbor in a few weeks. You know what you need to do instead? You need to preach a message on how to love yourself and how to serve yourself and all these things. And I said, well, that's the last thing that we need instruction on. Hear me out. I mean, if you think about love as sacrifice and love, love is being considerate and love is, is taking care of others, that's our predisposition. Unless that there's something that, that really has gone haywire, for the most of us, we do not have any trouble loving ourselves. Doubt me? Go count how many mirrors you have in your home. Count your, your garments. Look in your refrigerator and see all the food. Most of us have no problem loving and sacrificing for ourselves, me included. I love myself. <laughs> I just, and it's sickening how, you know, I fall over myself to love myself. And, and you know what? We need to say, you know what? I need to start doing other things for other people. And we'll talk a lot more about that later in, in, pre, in following weeks. But the reality is, you know what? When we get so caught up in our little worlds of self that we can't see beyond that, and by doing that, the self-gratification shrivels up our soul. Shrivels it up. And there's something magical or spiritual, sorry, that happens when we finally stop praying for ourselves or, or navel-gazing or worried about ourselves and we start praying for other people about where they are and what God is doing and we're aware of what other people are going through in our life and it brings our life into perspective. Paul also goes on and he says, accept your church family with love. Accept your church family with love. And this is something that people get tripped up about all the time here at E3. People are like, 
do you accept so-and-so or this person or that person? Do you accept this kind of sin and all this kind of stuff? It's like, you know what? We accept people in love. The deal here at E3 is, you know what? If you, are, if you want to seek out who God is and what he wants for your life, that we'll accept you and let you come on that journey because we're all on that journey. But that doesn't mean that if you're engaged in some sort of self-destructive behavior, that we're just going to turn a blind eye and say, oh, well, that's just the way it is and allow you to destroy yourself and others. That is not love. That's what, not what this place is about. But this place is about acceptance and about loving those who are here and they're on the same journey as we are. The next thing that he says is read Scripture. Read Scripture. You know what? It always blows me away, and I have conversations like this all the time. People say, you know what? I just don't hear God. I don't know if he's, if he's talking to me. I don't know what he wants for my life and things like that. And I think usually the, 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 the shortcoming is this, that we put different rules on our relationship with God, who is the author of relationships, we put different relational rules with our relationship with God than we do with other people. It doesn't make any sense. God is a relational God. He is the author of relationships, and the same rules that apply with you and your boyfriend or girlfriend or your spouse or your boss your friends, that the same rules apply. You don't spend time with somebody, your relationship parts. It fades away. You know what? If we want to know what somebody's thinking, that, you know what? We talk to them. One of the kind of the starkest things and probably the, the best example here is Shannon, my wife, she takes the time to write me notes about what she wants me to do. She does. It's good. She's learned that I don't listen, so she's gone to writing notes about these things. And, and this is something that I, that I struggle with, but, but I, I always have nice little notes. I don't read them all the time. I don't. I, I just, they're not, because they're not like, oh, I love you, Mark, you're so great. They're usually like, do this, do that, do this, and kind of things. And, and sometimes she comes home, and she's like, you know what? Why, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? And I, I didn't know. And she's like, did you read the note? Uh, no. Uh, you know, you start, you know, stumbling. It's like, because I just, you know, you just don't bother. Well, you know what? God has written us a note. Well, it's more like a book. We're actually like 66 books. But, but it's there in, in his words instructing us of like, hey, you know what? Think about these things, you know. Do these things not as a, as a matter of, of ritual or law, but these are things that are part of, of our relationship that, that I have responsibilities and you have responsibilities. And then finally, I love how Paul ends this 
Basically, he's saying live in the reality of God's grace. The reality of grace. We all live in that, but the truth is we all need it. The Bible again and again and again says make allowances for one another. Show grace. Encourage one another. Don't hammer one another. With love and respect one another. Live in the reality that you were shown grace by God and live in and have a place where we show grace to one another. To help them live and resemble a life that is worthy of being called an ambassador of Jesus Christ. You guys pray with me? Dear Lord, just... Uh, Thank you for pursuing us, for coming for us. God, I just pray for those whose souls are dry. They don't hear you. They don't feel you. Maybe they're just here out of just habit. God, I just pray that you will just pour yourself into them, just supernaturally move them right now from where they are to really experiencing you. Let them feel the full weight of your grace and your love. God, let us be people that live in the reality of your grace. Let us accept it and let us honor and glorify and praise you like Mary did with all of her soul and her spirit crying out in thanksgiving for your love and grace. In Jesus' name, amen.
Uh, if you uh, haven't picked up a Pathways devotional, I want to encourage you to pick one up. It's a 42-day devotional written by our community for our community. Uh, they're over there uh, on the table. Uh, those are uh, free to take, and if you have a friend you want to send one to, uh, feel free to do that as well. Um, if you uh, want to talk about your soul, the condition of your soul, just uh, if you're not sure if uh, you have a, your eternity is going to be in the presence of God or separated from God and you want to just talk about that, please take the time to connect with me or one of the other pastors or somebody you trust uh, just to really talk about that. So uh, you guys pray with me and we will go out praising God with our hands. Dear God, I just thank you for this community. I just uh, pray that we can be honest about the condition of our souls. God, if our souls are dried up and, and on life support, God, just give us the courage to seek help, to reach out and just be honest about it, and to rehydrate and allow you to, to just restore us. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys.